0: Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Lift off. We have a lift off.
1: Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. Uh, It comes from James chapter 5, and it's verses 13 through 20. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you will be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being, as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain and the land produced its fruit. My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Amen.
0: James. Very interesting. Person, because of his brother, his half brother is, you know, God. James' half James's half brother is is the son of God, the Messiah. Israel's long awaited hero is James's half brother. No biggie, right? His brother is certainly fully human. He knows his brother, definitely fully human. Yet at the same time, the fullness of God dwells in his older brother of course his brother is jesus and jesus grew up perfectly in this obscure little hamlet called nazareth jesus learned the trade of his father most likely james learned this this trade as well and i just wonder how often did jesus and james work together as laborers as as uh, as craft craftsmen But yeah, Jesus lived perfectly, but that doesn't excuse Jesus from all the complexities of what it means to be human. Jesus knows all the infirmities and temptations and sorrows of of humanity. We do know that that James wasn't a a believer, a a follower of his brother when Jesus was doing his ministry. James becomes a, a believer later on in life. Eventually... James believes he believes that his half brother really did confront evil head on that Jesus took on the full effect of sin within himself on the cross it was this tragedy at first it seemed like it was going to be a tragedy but it it was turned into a triumph when three days later Jesus rose from the grave and this is really good news because it means that Jesus has power over sin, evil, and death. Now, before Jesus returns to heaven, Jesus actually gives this power away. This is really good news for us because it means that Jesus' followers can also have power over sin and death. People like you and I, a bunch of ragamuffins that we are, frail, and broken people in Jesus, Jesus' followers. We are empowered to continue to confront evil and sin in this world. We are agents of regeneration, agents of reconciliation, restoration. So a group of these empowered Jesus followers, eventually they were called the church. They continued Jesus' saving healing, restoration, project. And in time, James becomes a pillar of this movement that Jesus started. So by the time we get to the letter of James, when that was written, some scholars think it was written pretty early on. It could be the first letter in in the Bible. But by the time we get to the letter of James... This church, who's to be centered around Jesus, they definitely need some guidance and encouragement. And so we've been tracking through James, and we we have seen this, the the wisdom that that James is is dishing out to the early church, encouraging them, giving them guidance, letting them know, hey, this is, here's some of the stuff I can can share with you to help you endure. So I want to show you a, a chart of, where we've been. There's no way I can catch you up now, but here's some of the themes uh, that, that we've been exploring in, in James. And as we wrap up the letter today, this sermon is about encouraging this, this community of Jesus followers to be the church that, that prays and worships and just, and just continues to keep caring for one another. All right? James can't address. Every issue, every everything that, that's going on in the church family, but certainly in this little letter, there's a lot of wisdom that that helps the church endure, endure. So let's pray, and then we'll get we'll get right to it. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I just uh, thank you for this opportunity to to learn from your word. God, you are faithful. You are good. You are kind. And you do not let us go. Father, may we delight in your word today. Speak to us in your name we pray. Amen. So the church, this community, this family of Jesus followers, the church is to be the community of faith. That's filled with prayer, worship, and we co-shepherd one another. And so in James chapter 5, James asks three questions, and he gives three instructions on what to do. He says, hey, is there anybody suffering in the family? Anybody suffering in the community? Suffering here most likely means inner turmoil. It could be uh, like a physical illness, but inner turmoil, there, there's room for, for a lot here. You, 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 you've suffered something bad in life, a misfortune, perhaps your fault or not, simply put, you need help. Is there anybody suffering? If there is, this is what you do. You pray. You pray. In short, prayer is talking to God. It's a relational process. It's communication. It involves both listening and and speaking. And depending on who you, you talk to, There's like seven to ten different types of prayer in the Bible. And and there's many different flavors and styles. Yeah, a bunch of different types of, of prayer style. But yeah, if you have mayhem going on, if you got something going on, if the answer is yes, then a really effective call to action is this. Pray. Pray. And it's a very wide, open solution here. Is there anybody who is cheerful in the church? James writes, what does it mean to be cheerful? We're coming into the Christmas season, holiday cheer, we'll start to hear it more and more. Biblical cheerfulness, it's more than a superficial happiness. We're talking about deep-rooted happiness deep-rooted happiness. Is there anybody here who has deep-rooted happiness? Is, is there anybody here who has cheer? Then the call to action is to worship. Get out your harp, pluck the strings, make music. We need praise and worship time. The church needs to be a community, a, a, a community of creators of the worship arts. Because it's not just the cheerful who get to worship. We all need worship. We all need worship. The opposite of deep-rooted cheerfulness, perhaps, is deep-rooted sadness. One author, while writing uh, and and thinking and wrestling about some some hard things in life, she, she writes this, Sometimes life is like salt water at high tide. It forces us to shrink back, to retreat into a, a safe, pl- safe places of, uh, of and sorrow. But then in, in light of worship, when God's light and love floods us, it shifts the boundaries of our being. Our hearts get bigger. Our minds begin to heal. We need music. We need praise time. We need the harp players to do their thing. We need the poets to write the poems. We need the harp players to do their thing. Because worship can bring us back into the land of the living, so to speak. Worship can, can graft us into the tree of life. So as individuals, whether we're in turmoil or we're in times of cheer, this is why you know we need a community of faith. Hey, wherever you wherever you map. Turmoil, cheer, wherever you map, we need the church to bring movements of prayer and praise. Prayer time, praise time, times to envelop us. We we see it, the the union of God and others that we have. It's, It's revealed to us. We find out that we're not alone. We find out that we truly do have brothers and sisters who love and care for us. We truly feel it and know it. We have a God who who loves us. Prayer time, praise time, it's important in the church. Moving on, is anybody in the church sick? This term definitely implies to physical illness. Anybody sick? The answer is... If so, then the call to action is to call the the elders of the church, go on, go get them, rally them up. In the first century, this meant, okay, in your local area with these different house churches going on, from the different house church leaders, go ahead and go get them and bring them. Bring them to pray over the sick person. I want you to notice here, there is this communal aspect to the church. There's also this connectional aspect to the church. Not only are we brothers and sisters in the house church, but we're brothers and sisters among the house churches. Both a communal and connectional aspect here. Go get the church leaders. They are going to pray over the the sick person. And they are going to anoint them with oil. James doesn't say lay hands on them. That may or may not be implied. I don't know. Now it says to anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord. Don't let that be a Christianese statement. Okay? Just a, 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 a religious thing that we say. In the name of the Lord. Like, no, 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 no. Like, this is big. This is mighty. This this is a big identity statement here when we say, in the name of the Lord. Early 1900s Bible teacher uh, H.W. Frost, he makes this this comment. First, a name signifies personality. For names are given to distinguish between individuals. Second, a name signifies a person's character. For the name which designates a person stands for what the, the person is. Third, a name signifies a person's life work or life history. For what he is, for what he is represents also what he has done. Fourth, a name signifies a person's reputation before men. And fifth, a person's name signifies the individual standing before God. For a name represents what he has done. When we pray in the name of the Lord, we're praying a prayer. That is, immerse in the name of Jesus, the, 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 the character of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the story, the promises, the hope of Jesus. Praying in the name of Jesus. It's an identity statement here. It's not us. It's all him. Now, what's the deal with anointing? Well anointing with, with oil potentially serves two main purposes. The first one is medicinal and the second one is sacramental. It's symbolic. It might conjure up some images of a shepherd and a sheep. So we have to go back in time, use your imagination here, your shepherd hanging out with a bunch of sheep. And you notice your, your sheep, there's, there's bugs. Flying around and crawling in the eyelids and nostrils, and it's really nasty. You know, nasty little critters and bugs crawling around. What you would do is you would anoint your sheep with oil. It serves this this purpose. You are you are protecting them. There, there's a medicinal uh, purpose there to anoint the sheep. Olive oil, okay, also has. Uh, Beneficial fatty acids. It has antioxidants, some vitamins too, anti inflammatory properties. It's also good with managing blood clotting. The parable, the parable of the, the Good Samaritan. There's anointing, bandages in that story. Oil is also symbolic. Okay, it has a sac- it's a sacramental symbol here. It's a way to show that you are setting somebody or something apart for God. One Christian doctor said, hey, the best combo is penicillin and prayer. All right, meaning God is behind both, medicine and the spiritual. If somebody is sick, don't just pray for them, but also give them medicine. If somebody is sick, don't just give them medicine, but also pray for them. Medicine and, and prayer. It's, God is behind both of them. God is the healer. And so if somebody is sick, call for the church leaders. Have them pray and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And then James says this. The, the prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven. So the emphasis here is on the prayer of faith. It's not in the anointing itself. Olive oil isn't isn't magical. The emphasis is found in this request that comes from a solid faith, a faith that believes and does not doubt. So we ask God, And he answers. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says not yet. Sometimes he says no. But we are to pray in faith. Pray in faith that God would save or heal a a sick person. We are to pray in faith that God would, would raise them up. Now if sin is part of the equation, it may or may not be, But then the good news is, yeah, forgiveness can also be available too. The prayers of faith can bring spiritual healing, spiritual freedom in this moment of of prayer and anointing. And so in light of this, we're invited to confess our our sins to, to one another, and we are to pray for one another so that we can be healed. And there's this holistic vision of the human here, not just our 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 pains and our you know our pains in our neck and our belly issues and and uh, you know something something's wrong with our toe joint and you know it's also spiritual healing too. There's something wrong in my heart. I got clutter. I got some cobwebs. It's a holistic vision of the human, both spiritual and and physical, emotional, mental. So if sin has somehow caused a sickness, um, I, I'll just kind of give you a, perhaps an easier example here. Perhaps you've committed the sin of, of gluttony, all right? You haven't been a good steward of your body, and now those you know, seven-layer nachos are just completely eating up your insides. <laughs> Maybe you're lactose intolerant, and you've been just going hardcore on the ice cream, right? And now you're in pain. And now you're feeling miserable. The invitation is this. Hey, in a safe and holy place with people you can trust, you share, hey, I've, I've missed the mark. In a safe place, people who love you and care for you. Yeah, we can, we can come around you and we can pray for you. And you can receive freedom for both your physical and... And your spiritual pain. God's grace can rewrite your story. God's mercy can heal your hurts. And then a brand new uh, thought, or at least a kind of kind of shifting a little bit, a new, a new thought comes our way. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. A righteous person is a person who is after God's own heart. They're striving to be like Jesus. They want to be right with God. They are steadfast and loyal to the new covenant, right? People or the enemy try to attack their heart. But you know what? It's like they have a bulletproof vest on shield of righteousness baby like right you're not getting after my heart like i i got this armor on like the the righteous person you know they they're not seeking to be righteous they're simply just trying to be like jesus and righteousness is a byproduct of that they're chasing jesus's will and you know what in this in this posture in this chasing god's will they they pray energizing prayers it doesn't make them wizards okay it doesn't Make them superhuman. But, but as a deer pants for water and their hearts long for a God, the God who can do anything answers their prayers in a way that best fits his will and purposes. The prayer of a, of a righteous person is very powerful in, in, in its effect. Maybe we can just ask, okay, how big is God? How big is God? How big are your prayers? Did you know in the Old Testament and 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18, there was a there was a dude like you and I. His name was Elijah. Limited, frail, just a human. But he had a faith. He had a big faith. And you know, from an intense prayer and loyalty to God, discerning God's heart, Elijah prayed and asked God to hold back the rain. Actually, yeah, let me just stop the climate here. Let me just change the weather patterns. God, this is what I'm asking for. And you know what? In a couple years, it, it did not rain. It did not rain. James uses this numerology expression, three and a half years. You know, that's apocalyptic nodding here. It implies this short time of incompleteness. Okay. Um, But the main point here is that Elijah prayed. it's It's his prayer life here. Elijah prayed again, and the earth was refreshed. It produced fruit. You're all invited you too can pray big prayers. All of you here can can pray big prayers too. Prayers of faith that bring refreshment. And then James he he rounds off this letter with a few pastoral words. He says, My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth, and what's implied here is that intentional walking away, walking away from the gospel. If somebody strays from the truth and and somebody turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And so, you know what? We're we're all learning still what it means to be the church. 2,000 years now of church history, we're still trying. We're still trying to figure it out. We're still trying to be like Jesus. We're all learning together what it means to be the church, to care for one another, to notice one another, to have compassion for each other, to take care of one another. And in that community, if you notice, hey, somebody's just intentionally going wayward here. You don't draw a line and say, oh, you're out. But There's this shepherding posture here. And you do your best in that relationship to graciously invite them back to the center. Lift up Jesus and the gospel. You keep witnessing. Keep sharing. Keep loving. The penalty of sin is death. James doesn't elaborate on this, but as we consult the Bible, yeah, sin left unchecked, it leads to, to ruin. But if you can lead someone back to Jesus... Absolutely. That act of reconciliation will cover a multitude of sins. Why? Because God is the forgiver, God is compassionate, and God is merciful. We're to be looking out for one another. And I just want to end with a quote from J. Oswald Sanders. He reminds us hey, before Jesus returned to heaven, Jesus committed his interests to the hands of failing and frail men. He signed a power of attorney in their favor, entitling them and us to use his name in drawing on the bank of heaven for any needful supplies for the welfare of his work. The church is this wild, diverse group. I'll use this term again, ragamuffins. But in Christ, we are empowered to continue the movement that Jesus started this kingdom project. We are empowered to confront sin and be agents of reconciliation. We're empowered to be the community, the the entity on this planet that prays and worships and, and we, we pray for healing and we co-shepherd one another in the ways of Jesus. We're empowered to put our faith into action. We're empowered to be both doers and hearers of the word. We are empowered to be the church. And so this is the end of the letter in the letter of James here. It's no fancy sign off seems to kind of just end. And this is where we end our our sermon series through through James. And and it's always a a humbling experience to be able to work through a a book of the Bible. I've had the opportunity to do a couple books of the Bible now in my career. But when you finish a sermon series, it's like, hmm, now I want to go back do it all over again. Now, now that I preached through it, and I know how it goes, I want to go back because there's so much more we could have explored. It took us 11 sermons to go through James. It could have been a way lot, uh, way longer. We could have gone deeper. There's stuff still on the table, things to sink deep down into. But this this letter, this this old letter, it, it has. So much meaning for that first century church. I believe it has been wonderful for our church to explore it. That we have learned a lot from it. That that the letter of James is still so meaningful and powerful. For the church in the 21st century. And you know what? It, It teaches us to endure. This this early church that's that's going through suffering and and then James has to write this letter, hey, go ahead and embrace that and you know endure it, because you know, through temptations and trials you are going to grow. And someday you are going to grow up in Jesus and you'll be called complete. Consider it great joy, James says, when you have trials of many kind. Now, just think about that. Like, is that something we want to market to those outside the church? Hey, come on into the community. We're persecuted. We're a group of people who, who struggle and we, have, we, we face trials and all of this stuff. And, and you know what? Yeah, we, we have some, some issues inside the church, too. You know, like this is a, this is a hard thing to sell, Right? Ah, but that 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 is that's completely the wrong frame. How do we market this or James or this church of sorrows? No, 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 no. It's it's Jesus. Jesus is our goal. Jesus is our reward. We keep our eyes on Jesus. We're called to endure. And as a faith family, what does this look like? we're a community who prays for one another and we worship and we co-shepherd one another and we keep holding Jesus up he is our center and whether things get better or worse out there it almost doesn't matter we focus on on Jesus and we're called to endure And we consider it a great joy because Jesus is our prize. Let's pray.